Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Commander's Palace and Out to Lunch, the show about New Orleans business. In business, as in most endeavors, great accomplishments don't just fall in your lap. They start out as ambitious ideas, and they're followed by long hours, months, and often years of hard work. Success is typically one-tenth inspiration and nine-tenths perspiration. My guests on Out to Lunch today are at interesting points on the timeline between big ideas big business and big profits. Bill Bourne is the founder, chairman, and CEO of Emeticis. Emeticis is the nation's largest home health care provider and one of the most successful companies in the whole healthcare arena. Bill took Emeticis public in 1993 and it trades on the NASDAQ exchange as AMED. Welcome to Out to Lunch, Bill. Thank you, Peter. Happy to be here. Oh, this is great. I have to tell, in the spirit of full disclosure, I know Bill very, very well. I've been on the board of directors at Emeticis for 16 years and, frankly, a big Bill fan. So we'll, we'll start with that. Dominic Knoll is the CEO of the New Orleans World Trade Center, also known as the WTCNO. Although Dominic has a string of personal accomplishments, which we'll get to in a minute, his brief when he took over the business advocacy group in 2010 was daunting. To facilitate and increase international trade, through New Orleans. By the end of 2011, WTCNO reported that New Orleans business had record-breaking exports totaling $55 billion. Uh, Dominic, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me here. And I know you're a Tulane MBA, so we, we know you're from that, that <laughs> life as well. Uh, Dominic, $55 billion sounds like an enormous figure uh, in beignet mix and Bourbon Street t-shirts. Uh, <laughs> what are we making and exporting from New Orleans to the tune of $55 billion a year? Yeah, uh, it's quite massive. I mean, $55 billion was in 2011. Right now we are on $63 billion. So wow. we've really had even a higher, higher year in 2012 than in 2011. And and uh, a lot of the people don't think about when they come to New Orleans and visit the uh, French Quarter that we have the fourth largest port, the port of New Orleans in, in, in town. We have the largest... That's in the, in the U.S.? In, in the U.S., Great. yeah. We have the largest port complex in the world. So we have five deep water ports. That's we when you kind of look at all of South Louisiana? Is yeah. That? Okay, yeah, yep. you have the port yep. of South Louisiana, port of New Orleans, all the different ports, five deep water ports, 50 plus other smaller ports. And uh, there's just a lot of cargo coming in and out. And uh, as I said, we, we were very lucky to be in the mouth of the Mississippi River to have such, such uh, great volumes of cargo. And um, What's in the cargo, Dominic? It, it really isn't beignet mix, is it? Uh, it's, it it's not, no. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, so we have all kinds of different cargoes. Uh, there is uh, incoming cargo and, and, and exports. Uh, and most of the time you see food, agriculture products as exports. Uh, as you can think, the grain, comer, uh, the, the grain chamber of the United States. Um, people say you have probably a billion people who will be fed through the Mississippi River. So that's how much of uh, wheat and so on and so forth comes through. Uh, and then you have imports, uh, crude oil, oil and gas, chemicals. We have 88 uh, refineries up the Mississippi River. 
uh, chemical refineries. Uh, we have uh, 19 auto refineries uh, for oil, oil and gas purposes. And so, yeah, there's a lot of different products to go through. And uh, we right now try to make some of the products stop a little bit longer and do some uh, advanced manufacturing value-added production here in the state of Louisiana. Donick, you're originally from, from Italy. Yeah, correct. But your, your name doesn't end in a vowel. Is there, has the, there been a problem? Or? Uh, th th that may be a problem to solve then. <laughs> no, uh, it's, uh, I'm from the very northern part, so close to Switzerland and Austria. And so up there, uh, you know, borders have been changed over the different, uh, you know, wars and so on and so forth. And so our family, since 1350 in in the place where, where I'm from uh, wow. and so uh, <laughs> so quite a long time but uh, you're right it's then after it gets lost and so it's kind of <laughs> funny last name I agree. you know you know Dominic I one thing that gets me because I'm I've been to New, in New Orleans here for 30 years but I'm not originally from here I when I looked at your story it, it sort of rung a, a bell with me because I think you selling New Orleans being not originally from here is almost in a way better than a native. I mean, because you made the call to come and stay. I mean, do you feel that way or? Uh, I feel that way and I, that's, that's actually one of my elevator pitches towards uh, foreign folks. I say, look at me, you know, I'm a young guy, you. can't speak English that well <laughs> and you know, still get a job here. So, you know, people really are open <laughs> and people really are, uh, are uh, looking forward to, to wanna being, uh, doing business internationally and uh, we're also quite lucky to have, uh, or I'm quite lucky, frankly, to be here at that exciting time, uh, the state of New Orleans, uh, the state of Louisiana, as well as uh, New Orleans is. So that is uh, that is great, and, and I, I expect the conversation to pick up dramatically right here because the folks are putting the sherry in our turtle soup. So that is uh, <laughs> that, that sometimes is a <laughs> the elixir. Bill, I'm sure a lot of people listening will be surprised to learn that your company is such a big national player in in healthcare. I mean, uh, you, it's been an amazing success story. I mentioned. Uh, earlier before we went on the air that you were Entrepreneur of the Year in Forbes magazine on the cover in 2004. I mean, you are one of the most accomplished business people in the history of Louisiana. I mean, uh, it's amazing. One of the things I want to ask you about today was a little bit about Emeticist, but how do you become an entrepreneur? Can it be taught? Was it in your blood? Well, first of all, let me say this, Peter. If ever uh, I retire from a medicist, which will be a decade away, my next business is going to be international trade. And I can't think of a better contact than <laughs> Dominique, who is sitting right here to my left. Uh, one, I have the port, and two, I have the country. Uh, so it'd be great to get in the business of importing luxury items from Italy. So I know where I'm going, but let me tell you a little bit about where I've come from, okay. right? Um, you know, I think that we all have an opportunity, and um, I think uh, true entrepreneurs are born with it, but I think people have entrepreneurial opportunities in life. And some of the, the better businesses I've seen are, are people who make a commitment to a trade and have an opportunity to do something that's kind of inventive, um, and they move on and continue to grow the business. So with Emeticist, you know, we didn't start to be what we are. A business is a living organism. Uh, it grows, it evolves, it's uh, very delicate, uh, so you have to manage it from the day-to-day -day perspective. So we started out as a staff company uh, and today we're positioned to really be a value-add play uh, in healthcare reform and the dynamics that we're going to be challenged with so it's exciting to be here now Bill your, your background early on is you were you were in fact a nurse I am. I mean, yeah, you're not. A, you're always a nurse, right? Always a nurse. All right. And, so <laughs> and right here in New Orleans, Peter Charity Hospital School of Nursing, and worked at Orleans Parish Prison for four years while I went to school. And that was uh, your student so nursing gig. I grew the prison? up right here when when Charity was still open. That's where I got my training. Wow. 
What does it mean when they assign you as the as the nurse that gets the the prison gig? Is that because you're well, mainly that, because you do karate? That means I believe that, is uh, at the end of the employment line, there's nobody else that's willing to take the job. But I will tell you this, Peter. You know, we were making uh, back then about two dollars and twenty cents an hour, and then we got an extra pay of fifty cents an hour for hazardous duty pay. And uh, some of the sites that you get to see in, in prison are, are quite um, unique and extraordinary, and you get to learn a lot about healthcare and people. Wow. The, but now you're in, here you are running this big company, and healthcare seems to be at a crossroads. I mean, everybody agrees it's broken. Some people like Obamacare, some people don't like Obamacare. Where does, uh, where does Emeticist fit in the, in the repair of the healthcare system? Well, you know, even with Obamacare, you have to realize that healthcare care was broken before President Obama came along and what he put in was a fix. So you had an aging population that's growing rapidly, uh, you have a fragmented system, uh, you get paid for uh, what you do, which we call fee-for-service, and, and we're out of resources to pay for health care and people are living forever now. I mean, and uh, so there's a lot of, of cost and appropriation that go into health care and what, what the Affordable Care Act of 2010 did was change the, the format of how health care would be delivered. Uh, said in a simple way, we're going to move away from the fee-for-service system, which is getting paid for everything we do, and we're going to move into global reimbursement, which is means getting paid for a single uh, fee or a single payment for a large um, block of care. And I think it's the only way we'll be able to survive this transition and the growing demographics and the lack of resources we have. So there's a lot of good in this legislation that Emeticist is fully positioning to take uh, advantage of. So in, in other words, when you said fee-for-service, you know, um, instead of paying a a nurse for each visit, uh, the government's saying, I'm just going to yeah. pay you a, a fixed amount to take care of this person, right. right, this patient. Go back further than that. Uh, you know, talk about a patient who needs a knee or a hip surgery. So the government wants to pay one fee, which includes the doctor's visit, primary care, the orthopedic visit, uh, the actual surgery within the hospital, and the two or three weeks, month or six weeks of rehab that all come capitated in the global reimbursement. So the government will be looking, as well as managed care players, for the hospital hospitals and the physicians who have historically the best outcomes and who can provide that for the lowest cost with the lowest risk. And in addition to the surgery, they want the patient to rehab, which is where we come in. So what Emeticist is doing is positioning the transition from a home health and hospice company to be really the portal of entry for all post-acute care. And we spent money in systems and we spent money in technology as well as training our people to position us to be able to manage a much larger portfolio of patients at less cost so we can be a real partner for hospitals or managed care companies, or even large physician groups who want to move into the new era of health care, which is bundled or risk or capitated payments. How many nurses does Medicis have at this point? Well, between nurses and therapists, we have about 14,000 of them that go out to work uh, every day and take care of patients. And uh, on an annual basis, we visit patients 9 million times, and our active current daily census is around 75,000 patients. That's a perfect example of what is here in Louisiana that people don't don't know is existing. They, uh, it's time to check our inbox. Our producer picks a question that's come in from a listener. Uh, Grant, what have you got? Peter, we have questions for both of our guests today. For Bill, this question came in um, from one of our email subscribers. With healthcare businesses in multiple states, how difficult is it to balance federal requirements with state-by-state -state differences in healthcare provisions? 
you know, healthcare and, and the regulatory requirements, both on state and the federal level, are uh, very rigorous. Um, and it is a challenge. We do it through, you know, centralized tracking. But I can say this if, if we would lower some of the requirements, we could actually uh, drive costs down. Some of them are very needed and necessary, uh, but some of them are unnecessary, such as the amount of paperwork that we we have. But there are literally between the federal and the state requirements in, in 42 states, thousands of requirements that we have to keep up, if not on a monthly basis, on a daily basis. Bill, I just have a question. Where would uh, be, uh, you explained earlier from Obama and so on and so forth and the different uh, things to act on healthcare, where are some countries uh, who may have implemented in a great way and you know some examples the United States could look at or is it not really you can look at it? I mean for instance Switzerland has done a real good job in managing that on uh, it's either government or self-pay. Uh, Germany has done well as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Germany has a population that's aging uh, in a big way. Um, you know people from Canada uh, have an inexpensive system. It's a lot less ex expensive than we are but access to care is a challenge. Uh, one of the things is they have access to drugs. They can actually buy drugs we produce here in the United States in many instances by half the price. So uh, we have to wake up and find a better way to, to reach out and, and manage that. And, you know, apples to apples, France has uh, a pretty good system, uh, mm -hmm. to be candid with you. You know, Bill mentioned something uh, I wanted to pick up on is this aging population, particularly America, let's see, Europe, I think is, I guess Japan is actually the, the oldest average population. So uh, there's no running away from this problem, is there? <laughs> the, uh, I mean, what happens is that, um, you know, we, we create uh, systems where if people work all their life, they're entitled to a benefit, they pay into the benefit, but actuarially, you know, we don't expect them uh, to live past 72 or 76, and right now, you know, we have over 100,000 Americans that are over 100 years of age. Uh, our average patient right now is... 100,000 Americans that are over 100. 100 years of age. Wow. And, uh, you know, our average patient is 83 years of age, and, you know, when Social Security, for instance, was implemented, uh, in the mid-40s, I mean, you know, they didn't expect people to live much longer than 65. Yeah. You know, now you have um, a lot of people who are receiving uh, not only the Social Security benefit, but, but health care into their early 90s. Wow. So what's our other question, Grant? Okay, Dominic, here's your question. It might test your diplomatic skills here. <laughs> Mayor Landrieu is probably the most progressive mayor New Orleans has had in many years. And Governor Jindal seems focused on shaking things up in many areas. Do you have to coordinate with them? And are their two visions for the state and the city the same or competing? Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, I would even throw in uh, Mary Landrieu as well as the senator, uh, who also plays a role. And um, as I said earlier, I think I'm very fortunate to be at that place right now where I'm with within the state because the state is very much uh, progressive and it's very if there's rankings in place if you look at rankings I mean we're or most improved or we really are in the top 10 now of the different areas so that's great from the state side we have a very progressive mayor as you said uh, and that's excellent for the city if you go right now to the French Quarter and, and you you look at certain areas you and you haven't been here for five six years you probably wouldn't think that this is the same city so I think we do very very well but you're right some some issues the mayor sees them different than than the governor but in general I think there is a very good collaboration efforts in all the different areas uh, and uh, we uh, from the World Trade Center as well as many other economic development agencies are working hard to make sure that we make the best out of the state and out of the city he is a good diplomat 
He's, he's very good at this. They, uh, <laughs> we're going to take a look at our uh, lunch money. Lunch money is our out-to-lunch stock portfolio. The, uh, of course, the stock market has been doing very well. It's at all-time highs. Uh, recently went through its 2007 high. So we're, a lot of things are, are doing, uh, doing well. Corporate earnings look, look pretty good. And this is what we ask, um, ask each of you for a stock pick that we put into our, our uh, lunch money portfolio. And I'll, uh, Dominic, I'll, I'll start with you. Uh, what, what stock do you want to add to our portfolio? I would like to add Tidewater, uh, TDW. Uh, and uh, the reason is uh, it's a great company. It's a, it's a Louisiana-based company as well. Uh, and uh, they are in the industry of supply vessels in the oil and gas, or mainly oil uh, industry. Uh, and they had a switch in the recent years where they were very focused to the United States. And now I think just 10% or so of their, of their uh, revenue is actually produced in the United States. So they're all over. And that really symbolizes to me uh, where the industry in terms of oil and gas, where it goes. It's, it's, not, it's not a United States industry. It's really a global industry. Uh, and so we with the World Trade Center, I think that's a perfect fit for us uh, being also a global uh, company. Well, that's great. That's a, I think they have over 500 vessels, makes them one of the largest navies in the, uh, yeah. in the world. And these new vessels that they're, they're putting together are amazing. The old ones um, you know, just had the motor in the back and such. These have four thrusters, two in the bow, two in the stern, very expensive. Uh, this business has become a lot more high-tech than it used to be. Yeah. A lot of people still think of the oil industry as the clampets. It is, it is really advanced since then. <coughs> it's, it's very advanced, and uh, as I said, we, we are fortunate enough to have uh, Shell, Chevron, uh, several of the majors, but then we have a lot of supply folks, too, and uh, I'm visiting those uh, companies, and I'm fortunate enough to visit those companies, and when you see how advanced and how high-tech you uh, you encounter when you go there, it, it's amazing. And uh, I asked once the CEO, uh, John Hollowell from Shell here, what is an industry you guys look to? What's an industry you think is more advanced than you guys are? Or where do you steal, so to speak, the engineers, or, you know, <laughs> or the folks? And he said it's basically uh, NASA or, you know, aeronautics. And it's because it's, it's that complicated to really, you know, drill in that deep they're doing right now. For example, in the Gulf, uh, uh, of Mexico or, or you know around the world, so it's, it's a fascinating I industry. Wow! The uh, and Bill, what do you, what stock do you want to give us? Well, Peter, in the big picture, in '97, President Clinton created an inflection point for home health. While it set our industry back, it positioned the medicines to be the largest in the nation. Now we've had a much bigger inflection point in 2010, which is the Affordable Care Act, uh, and it's not only affecting post-acute care providers, but hospitals and physicians and, and payers as well. So if you're buying stock today, managed care companies are the place to put your money because uh, CMS just came out with a, a, a lower cut, so uh, Mark's pretty excited. So they cut, they cut what the gov government's going to pay, but not as bad as yeah, people thought? Yeah, government okay. told them it would be a certain percentage, and they came back and reduced that amount. So if you look at stock like, you know, Humana, Centene, uh, United's of the world, they're moving up today. Now, hospitals with 30 million people entering the paid rows of health care, I think are going to do well uh, in the next year to year and a half. But if you want to really look at the Grand Slam play, I'm going to tell you, Peter, there's no place like home. Uh, and if you're going to move into the home care segment, uh, there's no company like Emeticis. So uh, my pick is AMED Emeticis. Uh, that's the play. Uh, in the next uh, few months, uh, the industry has got uh, a change. It's a reimbursement change, just like managed care. But once we get through that, I think most of the headwinds will be gone. And uh, hopefully it will be sunny skies uh, from that point sunny on. Sunny skies. And I, I think everybody... 
agrees it's uh, people would rather get better at home. Uh, they, they get better faster at home. They got all that part again, going for them. Again, Peter, there's no place like home. It's a lot less expensive. We put out a study that shows that very clearly. When a patient gets discharged, discharged to home care from a hospital, they're less likely to go back. It costs less uh, to be cared at home versus in a skilled nursing facility or uh, a LTAC. Uh, not saying that those aren't needed, uh, but where applicable, there's uh, no less expensive and less risky place uh, to be cared for at home. And with technology today, uh, we can do things that uh, 20 years ago could only be done uh, in the hospital, and we can do that at home right now. Of course, we have to admit both of us own stock in Emeticis. That's exactly That's right. right. We'll have to tell them. See, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's amazing who you can walk by in Rouse's and have no idea uh, what they're up to. Uh, Bill, you're an example of the American dream. Uh, from humble beginnings, you've built a hugely successful nationwide publicly traded company. Now, along with everyone else in the healthcare sector, you're entering into uncharted waters. We wish you the best in navigating them and look forward to following your continued hard work and good fortune, Bill. Thank you, Peter. And Dominic, uh, you've made a significant contribution to New Orleans business in the two years you've been heading up uh, WTCNO, and I'm sure there will be a lot more successes ahead. I, um, I'm glad to have you at the helm. Thank you. It's good, good to have you guys. They, my guests on Out to Lunch today have been Bill Bourne, founder, chairman, and CEO of Emeticis, and Dominic Knoll, CEO of the World Trade Center NOLA. To find out more about Emeticis or the World Trade Center, follow the links on our sites, wwno.org and itsneworleans.com. The show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday, and live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our web designer and digital guru is Dr. Cliff Brigden. The beautiful Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. On our website, itsneworleans.com, you can join our mailing list and keep up with us on Facebook and Twitter. You can listen to past shows and get this show as a podcast on itsneworleans.com and wwno.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from Presonus Audio Electronics. Presonus makes Studio One music production software, Studio Live digital mixing consoles, Eris Studio monitors, and more. More information about Baton Rouge based Presonus is online at presonus.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Rashidi. I look forward to meeting you again next week on Out to Lunch around the table here at Commander's Palace. Till then, be well, be safe, be happy. Bye bye. Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937. Now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc.